You were working something out, giving yourself an angry, dry handy. Uh, hey, it was a dry handy. There was no anger involved. I just had to pee. I'm sorry I had... We sit here for an hour at a time. Sometimes the piss works itself out, James. I'm very sorry. I'm sorry that I don't recognize the signs of pee in grown-ups, because traditionally we just fucking go. Okay, well, we are also sitting here doing this thing. I'm sorry. I had no options but to paw at my dick like a fucking baboon mm-hmm. because I had to pee. Well, absolutely. While looking you dead in the eyes. I guess that's a, a choice that I made along the way, but... And you're getting after me for calling you out. Well, I wasn't getting after you, James. It I looked was ex- like you were getting after you me. You were getting after it me. It was out. I was explaining myself. <laughs> but it was out. Okay, you know when you wake up and it's fully erect because it's filled with pee? Yes. And then sometimes you stroke it because you have to get the pee out? It's like a toothpaste tube. I got to work it out of there. I see. I'm glad I called you out. Yeah. This so, you know, so you know what? Shove it, old man. Well, just make sure that there are no large pictures of Tom Berenger out anymore oh, during our podcast. And also, by the way, you're going to sit here and give me shit for having an erect penis while looking at you and Tom Berenger? Okay, I understand. My God, two Adonises right in my face. Am I not supposed to be fully turgid? Okay, I am now living up to my name, Milky Dick. God damn it. Mm-hmm. mm 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 Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special 100. 100. Can you believe well, okay, it? Okay, 100 releases on the network. Hey. Not so much just horror vomit. There's other shit that we we'll did. Get but there. hey, 100 episodes today. Honk, honk. I tried to do that air horn song. Yeah, we don't have air. You just sound like you're a kid honking a boob. (laughs) Yeah. Honk, honk. Dude, again, I don't care. I might be a grown-up. I still honk boobies when Mm -hmm. I can. It's delightful. Nobody doesn't smile when you honk a boob. A boob that you're allowed to honk. Okay. Okay, I I needed to get that clarified. (laughs) Honking unasked for boobies traditionally doesn't end well. Nobody cares for unwarranted boob honking. That is correct. But a friendly boob honk, always good. If it's a boob that you know you can touch, just fucking Canadian goose that motherfucker. Got my Christmas goose early this year. Oh, fuck. We were doing the thing, weren't we? And then we just went off into boob honking. Well, I know, but there's so much to talk about. But anyway, uh, I I said since we started this entire thing that if we made it to 100 episodes, which we're going to count it because fuck Fuck you, we do what we want. Plus, there's 100 episodes. Count those motherfuckers. Well, there's 100 releases, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple in there that never really went anywhere. It's a long and winding road of... Yeah, content here at Horror Vomit, and we do our best to. No, we don't. But, um, hey, but we still we still get it out occasionally. <laughs> Fuck, we've gone way far afield again when trying to get to a point. Also psycho. talking about getting We're out. We're doing again. fucking psycho. Hell's yeah. Because uh, all right, this is kind of a departure from character for us, honestly, James. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, or at least I, since it's mainly you shirk this movie picking responsibilities off onto me. Mm-hmm. I try and find things that aren't priest, like... I pick Priest, though. What? I pick Priest. Oh, you sure did pick Priest. Hells yeah. Mm, speaking of rock hard dicks. Mm, mm, mm. Well, that movie had just ended. The picture was still up. I 100% understand what you were going through, and I apologize for calling you out on it. Carl Urban? Mm. Mm. That's a whole lot of man. I bet it's like a fucking... Mm. I, I don't know. God, good God. Um, Sorry. Let's get psych- back to the task psycho? at hand. Psycho, yes. Psycho. Yes. Anyway, it's a departure because we tend not to talk about like the what you would consider like big name movies as, in mm-hmm. 2022 anyway. Right. We we don't usually hit on the classics. No, we we'll do old movies. Yeah. But I mean, as far as Psycho, what are we going to say that could possibly? I mean, there have been novels written about. I am pretty sure we're not going to shed any new light on Psycho. No, so um, what we decided to do pretty much is just attack it like... Oh, yeah, like we usually do. Yeah, and I, we're, I want to try and stay away from... and We talked about this internally. Mm-hmm. Stay away from any of the history. Again, there have been fucking volumes mm-hmm. written on the history of the making of Psycho. Yes. 
So we're pretty much doing like we did with an evil, the Evil Dead remake, and I, I kind of want to stay away from, yeah, uh, just little tidbits that everybody fucking knows about, mm-hmm. and and I, one of the other things that I really kind of want to steer away from is almost giving it a pass for its age. Right. And saying, oh, well, it was 1960. Oh, no, there was still some stuff you can call out on that. Yeah, absolutely, but I mean, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time dwelling on that. Right, because right. Because I think we kind of agreed that like it's more or less like what psycho means to us where gotcha. we put it into our uh like our own personal zeitgeist and, and right and in our in our deep deep and intimate feelings indeed on 1960s psycho, psycho. a novel written by robert block mm-hmm. screenplay by joseph stefano and directed by the alfred hitchcock hitch what's up uh, starring the Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, mm-hmm. Janet Lee as Marion Crane, Vera Miles as Leela Crane, mm-hmm. John Gavin as Sam Lewis. Yes. Wow. So, well, I gotta. I'll, I'll just start this out by talking about. I remember reading the the book or like the story cycle before I'd seen it. Because it was around, but you got to understand, even at a young age, I wasn't really a horror fan. This is kind of, this is very new for me. Pretty much since we started the podcast, I've slowly become a horror fan. So it wasn't a real touchstone for me. The book made a huge impression on me because I was reading like Anthony Burgess and Robert Block and anybody I considered an outsider, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, the book just hit me. So I did see the movie, but then flash forward 35, 40 years. I hadn't really seen it. I thought I'd seen it. I'd seen bits and pieces, and it's such an ingrained part of my life. Even as a kid, if you know, you if you were you said somebody was crazy, you'd hold up a pretend knife and make the the psycho strings. Yep. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, and it's always been a touchstone. You know, we've all made we've all made comments about it. But I thought about how much I how much space it's taken up without me actually having seen it in that much years. Yeah, it's such a part of our culture that you, you can't get away from it. And yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. And that's what I wanted to ask you, because obviously I've seen Psycho God knows how many times, <laughs> but it always hits me in one of the very first scenes when you start to hear the theme music, mm-hmm. and you realize that you've heard that in every fucking television show. Every and, parody. Yes. And it's it's one of those things that, like you said, it's so ingrained in our culture Mm-hmm. I mean, fucking, for Christ's sake, old dirty bastard has a psycho killer, Norman Bates. Absolutely. It's goddamn everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like you were talking about, I wonder how many people have actually seen Psycho. Well, I know Because that... it's a very different film than what you would, I guess, think of had you not seen it. Because, I mean, just right off the block, kind of spoiler, the iconic shower scene mm-hmm. that... Everybody knows, even if you've never actually seen the movie. Mm-hmm. It comes maybe halfway in. Well, and that's what killed me. The funny thing about this movie is I forgot everything but the three main acts. You know, the three acts yes. with Norman Bates. You, you know, the entire arc. And that's what I remembered from the movie. I'd forgotten. In my head, the shower scene takes place in the last ten minutes. Boom, boom, boom. The movie's over. I forgot there's an entire film noir heist fucking movie in this whole movie. I forgot about almost all of that. So I got to see two movies in one. I got to see a heist flick. That's what... Ooh, that's, you, you just touched on one of the key points that I wanted to talk about in this film. And, and it really surprised me because, again, I thought this was just a straight fucking horror film. And it is, but it isn't. It's got that whole other movie in it. So... Here's what I wanted to talk about, just to start this off, because I think the story structure of this film, again, I have not read the novel, so everything that I'm saying is going to be based on yeah. the film adaptation, obviously. And I'm going to refrain from talking about the novel, because that's not really what this is about. Right. So, I think one of the things that, I guess, how do I want to start this? You could almost call the beginning of this film slow. Because it it does have the 1960s sensibility. Yeah. But it really hammers the characters home. Mm -hmm. It gives you 
just enough of the minutia. It's almost like Jaws in that way, where it gives you enough of the minutia of characters mm-hmm. to where they don't have to say a lot of exposition. Like, right. I feel this or that. And all the symbolism, too. They're, yes. they're thrown out throughout this whole thing. They peppered a fuck out of this movie with symbolism. Now, one of the things that I think really draws me into this movie, and if anybody's ever seen it, I think you, if you think about it, you might agree. The first half of this film is the one of the oldest stories ever told. Mm-hmm. Do not go against the village, because if you are exiled, what's outside the village? Monsters. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's a vague interpretation of what I'm saying, but that's where you get all the old storytelling from, right. you know. Oh, it's from, very, yeah, very set storytelling, yeah. Yes, uh, you know, if you are exiled from the community or if you go outside, if you go into that forest, there are monsters in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah, what that almost almost instinctively hooks you. Mm-hmm. By the time we get to the shower scene halfway through, you, oh, it's a, it's a story that we recognize. And it's funny because if you think about it, traditionally, if we see something that's that hackneyed or overused or that's much of a trope for that long... You know, it, it will irritate you more than intrigue you, but he somehow took that very old, 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 old tale and just made you watch it. Yeah, it's it's essentially an updated morality tale. Mm, it is, it is. If you are exiled from the village, either be by things that you did and mm. you feel you need to leave, or if we feel that you need to leave, the the film The Witch... Does the exact same thing. Yes, it does. It's the exact same story, at least halfway for half of this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always forget until I watch this movie. That's what pulls me in. It's a very simple story, and it's very, I don't want to say like homey and comfortable, but it's something we've heard our entire lives pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's one of the oldest stories or concepts. You know, It's what held civilizations together. Right, right. This is our tribe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And anything out there is dangerous. And yeah. granted, it's not a great like worldview to have. No, but, but it's a naturalistic worldview because that's how the world was working. Yeah. And outside, monsters. Absolutely. The unpredictable, be it literal monsters or figuratively being a man. Yeah. Yeah. But again, just that it boiling it down to that interesting point, I never really even stopped to think about that. So now my brain's working. You know, do this to me like every two or three podcasts where I'm sitting there thinking so hard. No, but and what I'm saying no, yeah. is that the second half of this film follows it so beautifully because they don't go out. There's, how do I want to say this? There's not a whole lot of other elements introduced. Absolutely. There's a private investigator. That's mm-hmm. about it. Right. That's the only other character that we hadn't met so far. And maybe her sister, but we knew that she had a sister that she right. lived with. Right. So there's not really this, introduction it's just a very clean follow-through mm-hmm. of the story that they've already pretty much told is outside of here there's monsters and then this is what will happen well again and i thought it was a really interesting choice because if you look at the time this movie was made in 1960 film noir had died out by about 53 55 in there they hadn't really put out a movie like a film noir movie in a while and the choice to make it in black and white Again, well, budgetary, whatever, but I just thought it was really cool that he brought back that whole film style just for this movie. And it works beautifully in, in that framework, too. Because this is just like the, you know, like the way they filmed it, it looked like The Killer Inside Me. It looked like a lot of those old movies, you know? Yep. Down to the, you could tell the sets were made on a soundstage, but you didn't fucking care. Mm-hmm. And everything was just lit just right and moody as fuck. I loved, I mean... I'm a sucker for something that arrests me visually. And obviously, you can tell why this guy's a master because I'm just, even with, you know, even, even unmedicated, I was sitting transfixed on the screen. Yeah. Just by the beauty of the shots, how they picked them out, what angles they were using, you know? Yeah. It was just ridiculous. And that leads me back to, like, there is very much a reason that this is a classic. Mm-hmm. And it's... I mean, obviously, it's psycho. We all know it's a classic. But how many people have actually sat and watched it and really, like, looked at it and went, God damn, this movie's good. Well, it's funny. We were talking about um, cultural impact. I worked with a couple. I had to train a couple 15-year-olds on salads. And I was talking about, I got an upcoming, I got to do psycho 
you know, talking about it. Isn't it the one where that chick gets stabbed in the shower? Yeah, and the other one went, eat, 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 eat. And I was like, either one of you monkeys seen this? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But they fucking know it. They've never seen it. They've probably seen a picture of it on a wallet or something, you know, with Norman Bates or, you know, and dressed as the mom or something, but they never actually saw the movie. And that's how deep it is in our cultural base. And it's very strange that we see it that way because, again, I know I wanted to avoid this, but culturally at the time, it was not, it, it was praised as a film, but it was not looked upon highly because one of the things that I wanted to get into. Well, it was also a, basically is, a step up, step up from a Grindhouse B movie. Right. And it, it, with the exception of Hitchcock, like nobody in this really went on to go do a whole lot because of this film. I mean, mm-hmm. well, Janet, Janet Lee got fucked over hard. Uh huh. Yeah, well, first of all, she made half of what yeah. <laughs> Anthony Perkins, unknown ass, made. Yeah. Well, we weren't going to get into that minutiae, but. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But th- it's this there. is it's leading to a bigger point that I wanted to talk about because. With how good this movie is, and I don't know how many Hitchcock movies you've seen. I've seen about four. But Hitchcock, very, very good director. Mm-hmm. Real scumbag piece of shit. Oh, hell yeah. And it's something that I think when we talk about classics like this, mm-hmm. or like The Exorcist, mm. or like The Shining, mm-hmm. that we really need to remember, was it worth it? Right. Because in The Birds, Hitchcock... Okay, for anyone who doesn't know, Hitchcock had a long history of, uh, for lack of a better term, grooming uh, young starlets into weird asexual relationships Mm -hmm. and trying to completely control them. And then when they tried to do anything for themselves, he severely punished them, not only on set, but afterwards with his clout. Mm -hmm. In The Birds, for example, I mean, Tippi Hedren, that he had groomed and gotten into this movie... She tried to do something on her own, so he, for essentially two days, they threw live birds at her. Yep. There's a scene where you can see her eye get cut. Well, I forgot which which of the um, actresses happened, but they consistently put that um, that that corpse, mother corpse dummy, for one of the actresses to find to keep her on edge the entire film. So that's exactly the kind of behavior we're talking about. Yeah, it wasn't meant necessarily keeping her edge. It was him being a fucking douchebag, is what it was. And that's where I'm kind of getting to. Is it worth it? In in the scope of it, is this movie so important that somebody like or any of Hitchcock's movies or Kubrick or uh, uh, not Peter Blatty? He wrote The Exorcist. No, uh, um, Friedkin, William Fre- Willie Friedkin. Yeah. Because if people don't know, he fucked up Ellen Bernstein during The Exorcist, fucked her shoulder up, and gave uh, Linda Blair like permanent back trouble because that scene. Yeah, that scene where she's like flailing up and down on the bed. Yep. They broke her fucking back doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then continued fucking filming. And yes, and I know it's this isn't about William Friedkin or whatever, but it's just that kind of uh, the systems that put. All of this art that we see as being so valuable in place, mm-hmm. was any of it worth it? But throughout the history of, of film things, yes, it has been a consistent thing. It has never not happened. So it's almost impossible to remove that from the art. Would I prefer it not to happen? Yes. Am I going to stop consuming art because people get hurt? I would like to say, yes, I am an altruistic motherfucker, but I'm going to keep watching movies, and I would just keep hoping that you know, as progressive as things have gotten today, that there are more and more safeguards. And I hear there are, unless you go to, unless you know you're, you're, if you're filming in Eastern Europe, you fucking take your ass in your own hands. Yeah. Or if you're working for David O. Russell, he yeah. called Lily Tomlin a cunt. Oh, <laughs> I can imagine. Can you imagine being a fly on that wall? But what I'm saying though, is just, I, I do think it's very important to remember because we are, going to gush over this film obviously oh, yeah. and these a lot of these venerated filmmakers mm-hmm. were just r- real pieces of shit oh yeah and i mean the richard, R- richard donner he made the omen one of the greatest films of all time mm-hmm. nice guy everybody liked him mm-hmm. so it was a thing that was possible to do and i think that's something that we all need to wear on our sleeves when we talk about shit like this mm-hmm. is that yeah this these are great things made by horrible, horrible men. Yes, and a horrible, horrible fucking system. Yes, 
that did nothing but exacerbate the problem. Mm -hmm. Exacerbate the problem, exploit the talent, everything bad. So, yeah. I I just wanted to really get that out there. Alfred Hitchcock, I I know we've talked about it before, real piece of shit, though. Mm -hmm. But goddamn, is this movie good. It is. I guess I guess I guess the line we've talked about this a bunch of times. I, I guess there's all there's certain moral like if somebody crosses a line that's so far past anything that I could deal with, I will choose not to purchase that art. I will avoid it. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't know why this gets a pass. And, and I mean, not it wasn't on this film, obviously, but yeah, throwing live birds at Tippy Hedren and fucking cutting her face with a live bird's beak that you had somebody whip at her. Mentally, you're crossing the line yeah. into violent behavior. Mm-hmm. And again, it's real hard to it's a it's a real duality to because, look at a piece of art and go, God, that's good. And the idea of consent mm. among the actors, like, okay, I'm in this film, I can walk off at any time, but they forget about power plays and politics and everything. Yes. So it's easy to victim blame in this situation, too. Well, fuck, she could have said no. You know well, what I mean? Could she, though? I mm. mean... No. Yeah. I it's... mean, granted, she was married to Eddie Fisher at the time. Could have had, you know, had a few... She had a little cushion, but, you know... So, like I said, I, I don't want to sit on this too much, no. but I, I do, it's one thing, again, I feel when we're talking about stuff like that, it is very important to bring up. Oh, hell yeah. Something a little more lighthearted, though, James. Yes, on, on a lighter note. Vera Miles. Yes. I want you to take a guess at how many uh, acting credits she has. This is IMDb as well. I, they're um, not always correct. So I'm, 15. She's thinking a number. 162. Great oogly moogly. Now, if you had to take a guess, how many acting credits would you say Jackie Chan has? All of them. There are no other acting credits because Jackie Chan has taken them all. 142. The fuck out of here. (laughs) I don't know why, but I saw Vera Miles had 162 acting credits. 20 more than Jackie motherfucking Chan. Yeah, and I looked at Kayla. I was like, hey, remember the number 162 for me? And quickly IMDb'd Jackie Chan and his credits. But Jackie Chan... Has been in every movie Every ever. Golden Harvest movie ever put out, and then he had his own career. Uh-huh. There's got to be more than that. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Oh, this that that's blowing my fucking mind. I, I just thought that was very funny. I figured it was worth bringing up. Wow. So, let's get right down to it, James. Let's hit it. How did you like Psycho? Well, that's a difficult question because, again, we've talked about... I like how we're just starting from the beginning no, and no, doing all this. No, that's all right. Because, again, it's a difficult question because I discovered this movie before I discovered the ladies. So anything before a certain age is indefensible one way or the other because there was nothing else. Um, looking at it critically this many years later, I would say that I, I, would, I would say I liked it. But I got a few issues. But then again, those are issues that really weren't in effect at the time this movie was made. There's a lot of things that I had to sift through to get through this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, again, modern day thinking. It's what, 68, 70, or 60 years since this movie came out? Uh, 62 this year. Yeah, I mean, that's lots of things have changed. So seeing it with fresh eyes after not seeing it yes. since 1980. God, five? Mm, when I was born. Yeah. That was the last time I watched it. So, yeah, there was, there was a lot of shit to sift through, buddy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that I, I, I th- thought about real hard while watching this because, okay, I love this movie. It's fucking psycho, man. Ah. It's so goddamn good. I, I've gotten, we've talked about this just between you and I. We've gotten kind of into watching some of the older movies. Mm-hmm. Because I, I like a lot of the new movies. Don't get me, especially the new ones that we watch. Yeah. I, most new horror movies I'm going to take a real hard pass on. Mm-hmm. But the ones that we watch are generally pretty cool. I really enjoy that this, especially in this time period, I don't need it to seem real. Right. I don't need every character to be a real person. Right. I need the rich Texas oil man at the beginning to just be a fucking wild southern maniac. I needed the guy who explained Norman Bates' illness 
to be that guy. There's no other guy in the whole uh-huh. world that could have, well, let me tell you something about what's happening. It wasn't really. I was like, oh, fuck, this guy is acting his ass. Oh, boom. And, and, and I loved every second of it. And that's what I was getting to is it reminds me that, you know, because we've watched a lot of things that we go, man, this isn't realistic because they're trying to be. Mm-hmm. Watching shit like this, like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a movie. This is entertainment. And it was entertainment that was curated in such a way to give them the give us the viewer the maximum amount of enjoyment mm-hmm. out of <clears throat> shit, I didn't even look how this movie's not that long. No. Hour and a half, hour forty five. That's what movies used to be. Yeah. But here here is your three act structure. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Boom. Here's your movie. <sighs> and I think that's I forget sometimes when we watch some of the newer stuff that mm-hmm. we, you know, well, look at how they got so into this character. Well, and but also, sometimes I just need to watch a fucking movie. Well, and think about the difference in acting styles, okay? Television was, was starting, what, 45, 48? Television oh, was still I, a... I didn't do all that research. No, television was still a re- relatively new medium. So a lot of actors had to adapt... There's a difference between, obviously, big screen, small screen, and stage. The other two had been filled up for years. There's a bunch of new television actors. There's a different style. They're learning how to act for a smaller screen. Yes. And you're seeing a lot of these different styles in this movie, but somehow co- cohesive. Because you could tell the, th- you know, the theater guys, as opposed to the movie guys, and there were a couple of TV guys that actually fit perfectly in this milieu. Mm-hmm. And Hitch- Hitchcock had worked TV. He'd done Hitchcock Presents. Was that, I think, prior to this? Uh, if not concurrently. Or concurrently, yeah. So, I, he, again, I'm shaky on the timelines. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, that was also, I think it was because I know he used a lot of TV crew to film some of the stuff. And he used some TV ideas to have more cameras rolling while one scene was going. He did that, too. And it was just kind of interesting to see how he pulled it all together. And to remember that these were so different acting styles because you had to act much less to be on a TV screen and much more to be on stage. And I have no idea how the fuck you got to act on a big screen, you know? Yeah. So, and you, it was just really cool that way. I know. And again, it's, we're watching characters and yes. that's what I love, but they're not. And like I said, with the writing or the direction, I'm not sure with which they, they don't drop shit tons of exposition on us. But we get to know who those characters are by their mannerisms, by mm-hmm. just the little things that they say. Like I said, I think it's one of those things that Spielberg picked up when, mm-hmm. you know, because Jaws is full of this. Oh, yeah. Jaws, you know, with Brody, just the, ah, that's some bad hat, Harry. When you, that doesn't tell you <clears throat> anything, but it tells you everything. Right. Well, I, when I think of Jaws, I can remember all the characters. I watched Jaws once when it came out. But I know these characters Yep. to this day. So, yeah, exactly. They let the character's exposition not be entirely verbal. When the oil man comes in, he's shaking hands. He's looking at all the ladies. He's, you know, he's being a real greaseball. Yeah, he's very loud and verbose. Yeah, so you know exactly who he is. And it's like shorthand. But it wasn't, maybe it wasn't shorthand at the time. Maybe now it's even more shorthand. It could be one of the many influences of this film. I mean, mm. I'm pretty sure the rich Texas oil man has always been oh, yeah. a trope. Well, I Beverly mean, Hillbillies, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're saying rich Texas oil man. I don't think it's ever specified what he is, but he's a, a rich, loud, verbose gentleman. Yeah, give me three of those and two of those, and hey, one for the pretty lady. Yep, and hey, me and your boss are going to go back and... Uh, where's that bottle you said you had? Me and your boss are going to go out and do some drinking did to make lo- sure that I can trust him as my banker. Did you see the pained look on that other actor's face? Like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Jesus Christ. Go go. Uh huh. I was like, oh my god, that is a beautiful moment. I love those little tiny moments where you, you blink and you miss it. But that actor's pained expression, like I don't want to fucking go. That that made half the movie for me. I mean, it was a beautiful movie, but those little tiny moments just really work it for me. And one of the small things, and I'm sure, again, I just want to point out, we did no research really into any of the historical, you know, why this movie's so good. This is all just our observations, but one of the things that I very much liked about this is that there is a dichotomy in almost every one of the characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Marion, 
she seems like a very nice lady. We Again, we get all the information from the opening scene that she's mm. with this guy that she can't be with. Right. Money is the problem. Mm-hmm. But she seems like a very nice lady who makes a bad decision. Mm-hmm. So there are good and bad things about her. Right. There's Oh, you're right. There's no real, like, hero, heroine. There's uh-huh. It's just flawed that's, people doing flawed that's shit. That's why she's fleeing where she is, because she stole a bunch of money. Right. <laughs> but she's this woman who's trying to make a, 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 a jump in her life. I'm sorry. Oof, tongue-tied real bad. That's all right, you stuttering prick. Yeah, you fucking stuttering asshole. <laughs> but, uh... uh Norman Bates, I, very much clearly, there is a wow. more than, there's a, very much a dichotomy in him because he is. There's a literal he is, he dichotomy is a, in yes, him. But he's a nice young man. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you hear his, uh, we'll just say mother, yelling at him. Mm-hmm. And you think, God damn, this poor fucking guy. And that's, again, what's so fucking good is that this is where all of that i believe came from mm-hmm. this trope of the you know murderous nice guy well, oh yeah taken from ed gein obviously oh yeah but, well robert black lived down not too far from ed gein's farm actually yeah um leela the sister we don't really see much about her she's just looking for her uh sister who's gone missing mm-hmm. but uh sam loomis as well he's got this we don't m- know much about his past but right. we know that He's essentially broke. Right. He he works to pay off whatever, and he lives in the back of a fucking garment factory or mm-hmm. whatever he says that he's classy, living classy in. Classy, classy dude. Yeah. He's this guy that, you know, like, oh, I want to be with you, but I can't because of this reason. Mm-hmm. My pride keeps me from you. We don't have enough money to even... Would you like to live with me in this tiny hovel? Right. But at the end, he goes looking for her because that is the love of his life. Mm-hmm. It, like, there's layers to these characters, but... Never once do they just come out and say anything, really. You know, I never felt once throughout this whole movie that I was hit with the clue bat. You know, the obvious, like, hey, you need to pay attention to this, whack. At no time, it, it, let, it took its time, it let me think. And I appreciate that. I never used to, I used to be like, fucking with this movie, just get on with the goddamn killing. That's why I said this movie could be construed as being very slow, but mm. when you pay attention to it, it gives you everything you need to know mm-hmm. without, yeah, taking exposition and just splashing it right in your face. Oh, absolutely. And I had to look up one thing because it was bugging me throughout the movie. I'm like, that can't be one person doing the mom's voice. So are we hearing it from his perspective? What, what's going on? It turns out that there were eight different actresses used to use the mother voice, mother's voice. Ooh. And I thought that was just amazing because my ears were, they all kind of sounded like Norman Bates, but they didn't. And my ears were just fucking with me. I was off put. And there's a lot about this movie that will make you off put, including the, uh, what do they call that? Um, subliminal. Uh-huh. The subliminal frames and stuff. All the fucking taxidermy birds. That's right. They're, they're fucking with me subliminally. But it, it happens like throughout the movie. And it always, always that little sense of unease. And it's amazing that, that you, with that sparseness, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I didn't see this movie until I was maybe... 20 21 like mm. i was i was older it's not this isn't a movie that i saw when i was you know a young kid right. watching horror movies you watch fucking freddy krueger and shit yeah but it, this was one of the first films that i watched when i went yeah that was slow mm-hmm. but i really liked it and i think this is the film that really like kicked off my love of the slow burn horror movies because i've made you watch a few yeah you used to fucking curse my name for yeah i used to tell you to fuck you for making me watch this goddamn piece of shit but Mm. i think this was one of the first films that really kicked off my love of ooh, i'm getting really into these characters and it's not just a splatter fest well i think it took two ben wheatley's and then jacob's ladder and then i'm like in for the slow burn i'm in for the story i'm in for whatever the fuck's in there yep because speaking of slow burns we i made you and we've covered all his other films too but i made you watch i'm the pretty thing that lives in the house yes directed by oz perkins son of anthony perkins well that's right that's right and that's why that beginning uh, the beginning ends or begins with the quote uh something about thank you for leaving me a very old house or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah 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 yeah. oh yeah oh wow 
Because, I mean, we're kind of getting to Anthony Perkins and the characters. How could he play anything else after that? Exactly. And that's kind of why this movie tanked his career. We look back on it as being, you know, a seminal piece of art. And just, my God, the fucking performance he gives in this is amazing. Even for 1960. Mm -hmm. That's why I said... I'm not even judging his performance on the basis of it being 1960. Right. You put him in that today, and he is excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also take a look at it. He didn't get a back end off this. The only person that got back end off this was Hitchcock. Because he said, I'll put up my own money, but I want this much percent. I want this many points on the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet Lee and Perkins, they got a one-time payout. They're not getting residuals at all for this movie. Mm-hmm. So everybody thinks, well, shit, he's got that psycho money. He's got paid like $45,000 to be in that movie. Yeah. That's it, which is a lot of money in 1960. But it isn't fuck you money. It's okay if I play my cards right, I got about six years. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he he wasn't Clark Gable or Jimmy Stewart. Right, right. So when, when it shit dried up, it dried the fuck up. Yeah, and... It's such a goddamn shame that, again, that's how things work, that he gave this fucking performance that to this day, like, there are essays written about mm-hmm. how goddamn good he is. And He's got that, smarmy down, buddy. Uh-huh. And, th- dude, his facial expression mm-hmm. after he kills Marion... Mm-hmm. While he's dumping the car in the pond, or it looked like a tar pit, but yeah. while he's dumping the car with her body and luggage in that fucking pond, yeah, it is chilling. Yes. Because he's just staring at it, waiting for it to sink with a body in it, mm-hmm. like he's irritated that his dr- the dryer's taking too long. Y- yes. That and whole sitting, lack of effect. And he's sitting chewing on what looks like sunflower seeds or peanuts or something, mm-hmm. just snacking, waiting for this fucking car to sink. Yeah. And it gets stuck for a second. And this is, again, just the little things of brilliant filmmaking. It's not just him watching this car go down. It gets stuck, and you see a moment of rage on his face. Yes. Rage and concern of, I'm going to be caught. This needs to sink now. Mm-hmm. And when it starts sinking again, you see him exhale and just go, ah. Yes, yes. My good goddamn. The way his face changes when he talks about his mother. The way his face changes when he's trying to tamp down the insanity mm-hmm. so that he can appear normal. Mm-hmm. The way he corrected himself to agree with the person who was talking. Uh-huh. That's all trauma response, and he must have had a shitty life before that because he portrayed it like fucking clinically spot on how a trauma survivor would react. Yeah, that and went that deep, and 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 you, how, how, how can you pull that performance out, or was that performance already there in him? He'd read it, and he was fucking there. And with a lesser performance, any of the times that he gets tripped up or called out on lies that he just told mm-hmm. would have looked very silly, but he has a, almost a very childlike yeah, way that of real boyish. It. Yeah. And going back and, Oh, well I must've forgotten. Oh, well she must've done or said, said or done this. He's bad at lying. Right. He's bad at it. But and he's so to, to he's... be able to portray that through an acting performance is goddamn mind-blowing, James. And plus, he's such a gump that it doesn't. nobody really cares what he says half the time. Yeah. He could have just outright said, yeah, I shanked her in the shower, and, you know, and then walked off and smiled mm-hmm. and polished a, you know, polished a glass, and people would have just ignored half of it. Yeah. Because he's such a non-entity half the time. He's, he's not physically, or he's physically there, but he's not occupying anybody's attention or space. Yeah. And that's the total Ed Gein influence, mm-hmm. which is why I was wondering if he had been able to see any footage of it. Again, I didn't del- delve into this. I'm sure there's an answer for my question. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being such like, uh, well, because I think his portrayal is even better because they could have taken the mentally handicapped because Ed Gein very much oh, he, in he. IQ of what? Like they figured out like 50 yeah. maybe. But Norman Bates isn't a stupid man. Right. And that's why I think it's such a good performance, because he has to balance on a razor's edge 
this being very hyper aware and keen, but also this childlike sense of, oh, I got caught Mm -hmm. and not knowing how to catch up with his own lie. Mm -hmm. And his personification of his mother, the way he speaks of it. And then if he switches while you see it, you can visibly see the switch. Sorry. You can visibly see the switch. Yes. Because when they're having that uh, conversation in the parlor, Mm -hmm. he goes from one of the nicest guys you've ever met to fucking scary. Oh, yeah. Immediately. Mm -hmm. But before that, all we had seen seen of him is just him being boyish. And smiling and, oh, shucks, ma'am. Yeah, I'll get your bags. Uh, I I understand if you don't want to have, you know, will you have dinner with me? You can come up to the house. And she says, you know, that basically in her performance as well, as far as giving off the, that makes me uncomfortable vibe. Mm -hmm. And he immediately goes back on it and says, oh, well, I'll just bring it to your room when it's ready. Then you don't have to eat with me. I'll just bring you something to eat. And then she kind of agrees that she's going to eat with him. So they walk into the office because he says, you know, if you don't want to eat in your room, you can come eat in the office with me where, you know, it's not in your personal space kind of. And then says, oh, well, this isn't really a great place to, you know, sit and eat. I have a little parlor back here if you'd like to sit back here. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, his personification of, and if you haven't seen it, you already know who Norman Bates is just through pop Mm -hmm. culture. To watch him do this and know what's coming, it's it's mind-blowing that he never got work after this because of the stink of being Norman Bates at the time. Well, I could, it's hard for us to see now, but the, the tumult that this movie caused because there's more nudity than you think. The themes are very, very adult. There's divorce, there's theft, there's, you know, all that shit that they abolished in the Hayes Code were in this movie. And so the fact that they even got it made even at all throws me. Mm Because it it is, it's time for 1960. It is out there. Like I said, remember when I said it was almost Grindhouse? Mm -hmm. It really was because of the subject matter and the things that they actually showed. I was just like, wow. Yeah, I, I, I briefly read, and I forgot who exactly said it, but I know it was like a, somebody who was very famous at the mm-hmm. time, said that they almost were no longer friends with Hitchcock because of the disgusting film Psycho that he made. Mm-hmm. Or, or they almost like weren't friends with Anthony Perkins, something like that. But it, it was a contemporary, very much right. questioning their involvement with somebody who was even involved in... Uh, I believe the quote was a disgusting film like this. Mm. I just remembered a quote. Um, I forgot who'd said it, but um, when they were talking about making a movie with Hitchcock, they said that B movies are selling and they're, they're, they're shitty B movies. So what would happen if we made a well-written B movie? And I was like, Oh man, that's exactly, exactly what this is. And it, it, it stuck with me for some reason. I was like, wow. Yeah, because even with all the other like older movies that from that even it's contemporaries like The Haunting, mm-hmm. The Haunting one of the greatest ghost films ever made. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously written on written from Shirley Jackson's. Oh yeah, yeah, but The Haunting from '63. Yeah, still an incredible film. Not nearly as fucking dark as Psycho is. Mm-mm. Well, I you know. Again, all joking aside, I don't. I didn't remember it as dark. I remember it was scary, but now I've seen scary. I've seen people's heads get cat- hacked off. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen them getting cleaved in too. I can handle. No, it was just as terrifying to me at my age as it was when I saw it in '85. It because that that terrified the fuck out of me. I couldn't shower forever. I can now, but there was different fears that this evoked in me as an adult as, than it did as a kid because then I now understood the relationships. I understood more about what was going on and I understood a lot more about mental illness. So I was just like, it, it really scared the fuck out of me because there's people like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, because that's the that's scariest horror movies are the ones that could really happen. And one of the things that I think is so dark, and it is, it's leading into another thing that I kind of wanted to make a little bit of a joke about that, it, it, like you said, it is almost two movies. It's kind of like the full metal jacket of mm. horror films. Yeah. When you could say, which, which half a psycho do you prefer? Could be a legitimate question. Absolutely. 
But one of the things that I think is so fucking brilliant is we get the shower scene. We know he's a cold-blooded murderer. Mm-hmm. Now, the people that show up don't. Mm-hmm. And it's never once played as Norman Bates is this psycho murderer and they need to go there and get him and get revenge and find her sister. Right. They're just she's trying just, to find his mother. She's just missing. Yeah. And she, with $40,000. Yeah. That's it. That's all they know. Mm-hmm. So when they show up and they start interrogating him, they do not know that murder is in front of their faces. And he doesn't know what they know. Exactly. So it's a cat and mouse parlor mystery. Exactly. Which and is a different movie besides the heist. Exactly. Now it's a cat and mouse chess game. Because the private investigator that they hires, they show up and he's directly asking questions about Marion. Mm-hmm. So we know, oh shit, he's probably going to be fucking killed. Oh yeah. But like Leela or Lila, I I forget how they fucking say it. And Sam, they have no idea. They think the private investigator, or they have an inkling that he went there, got a very good lead and just hasn't called them back. Yeah. They don't know that he's fucking dead. Right. And they never go in inquiring about Marion. I love that shot, though, when, so, when he killed him. But hold on, oh, let me finish this. So when they show up to Bates Motel, mm-hmm. they never mention Marion. So Norman doesn't know that that's what they're investigating. Right. They're just playing it off. So like you said, it is this tangled web mm-hmm. of almost noir and intrigue. Mm-hmm. And when you really boil it down to what characters do and don't know, but what we know as an audience, it's... God, it's such a good fucking movie, James. That right there is a lesson in screenwriting. Uh-huh. Just if you just follow that beat by beat by beat, if you listen to the dialogue, you can tell this was author written. They stuck a lot to the story, the way the characters spoke, that type of thing. Because there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities. And you could see it because you can actually feel the dialogue from the author. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you lose that because there's a lot of translations from what was originally written to what the actor can say and can't say or whatever. Yeah, and what obviously novels are much more dense than you can fit into a, let's just say, 90-minute film. Right, right. So you have to pick what to cut, what to hack and slash, what to keep, right. what to combine to not lose themes that mm-hmm. you want to keep in film. Yeah, it's it's a real tightrope to walk, and it, it, it's just it, it should be. I'm sure it's a masterclass somewhere on this movie on how it's broken apart beat by beat, how how the actors talk, how they you know because that's what fascinated me. I watched it twice because I had a problem with the DVD, so I watched it one night and then I kind of half-assed watched, and then I watched it completely through the next day, and I could not stop watching that goddamn thing again. And because I, I was thinking about filmmaking process the second time, because I rarely do that. But I, I was just blown away regular, on the regular every time I watch this movie. And one of the things that I very much like, too, and it, it's just a little thing of filmmaking. Again, I hate to give him critics. He's such a fucking dickhead. Mm-hmm. But it starts out and it tells you exactly when all of these events started. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It gives you a specific time and date. Mm-hmm. And that's such an easy jumping off point. Right. That it it doesn't, how do I want to say it? It very much sets the stage and it puts you in the film immediately. Absolutely. Because when it gives you such a specific context, it's almost like an alert going off of, hey, pay attention mm-hmm. because this will be important. And while they constantly bring up, she's been missing for this long. Right. She's been missing for this long, and the days progress. Right. And it's just such an easy thing to do. But it seems natural. It does not seem artificial and put upon us. Yeah. It's just drawn us in, drawn us in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then it was used, again, to very great effect, the same kind of concept in The Shining, when it starts out with, Opening day, this day. Gotcha. But then the references to the time and date get very obscure, and that's obviously intentional because Because time is meaningless. Right, right. But it's one of those things that grabs you. Right. If if you can tell your audience exactly when this is happening, Mm -hmm. again, it gives you those alarm bells. Pay fucking attention, because why would they show you this if it's not important? Absolutely. Um, I do have a question about that, though. Like, 
there are three scenes that stick out to me the most in this movie. Obviously, the shower scene. Everything's been written about it. The other was the guy falling down the stairs. Uh-huh. And I both loved it and laughed at it. At the time, that was the shit. You know, with the arms waving, it looked like he was falling down. Because he was. He was on some kind of harness or yeah, some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the filmmaking at that time, I thought that was both goofy looking and I tried to imagine what it would be like for me sitting in a movie theater in 1960 watching that. It was probably, it was probably bitching as fuck. Mm-hmm. And the other one that killed me. Here, but here's the thing uh, that I liked about that shot. Because the shot of him going backwards, it does. It looks like he's almost on like a moving platform downstairs. Yeah. But when he gets to the bottom of the stairs, they ta- show him take a few steps before he falls down. Yes. So that it sort of almost legitimizes that he was falling backwards on his feet the entire time. Yeah, it's that That's the only thing that I wanted to bring up about that. I, is it, no, not misdirection. It's just a continuation of the shot to make it believable. Gotcha, you gotcha. Didn't, it didn't show him like doing a backward somersault at the bottom or anything yeah, after yeah. a shot like that. And, and you know, sticking that it's, landing. <laughs> yeah, it's very seamless and done practically and as well as they, it could possibly be done in 1960. Right. The other one that stuck out to me, and I don't know why, is when she was driving in the rain, she was having a tough time seeing, seeing the median. The lights were coming at her. Couldn't find the exits. And that was so real. The way the water was splashing. Because I don't know. I, we've all been in that situation. And I was so nervous and upset because it freaks me out when I have to drive like that. To watch somebody else do it. I was, again, ratcheting up that unease. Just You're never quite comfortable at any moment in this entire film. And just, it's not the same way. It's like you're uncomfortable because of this, but you're also uncomfortable because of this. And the music is in the background making you uncomfortable. And then those little scenes, just these little parts that are just irritating you or somehow getting under your skin. And he kept that up the entire movie. Here's what I think is really brilliant. Since you brought up the stare scene, Mm -hmm. it's one of the things that I love. And Kubrick does it in The Shining too. Mm -hmm. It's, they give us a boatload of shots of the P.I., Mm-hmm. Just by himself. And yeah. he's investigating. And they do it almost the same in The Shining with Scatman Carruthers, where they give us a ton of scenes of him right. at his house because he hears Danny through The Shining. Right. And then they show him on the airplane going to rent a snowcat. Right. They give you so much time with this character who's supposed to be saving the day. Mm-hmm. What happens when and they do the exact same thing in The Shining? Mm-hmm. He gets to the top of the stairs... And Norman Bates comes out of goddamn nowhere with an axe to the chest. Whap. Oh. And it, again, it's very well articulated. I think it was Spielberg was talking about how smart that was in The Shining. That after you think this white knight is coming and you've spent so much time, when he gets axed out of the goddamn chest out of nowhere. Before it can do dis- anything. It is, and I think it's almost done as to equally good effect in Psycho. I, I know I was yeah. using a Shining as no, a No, no, it's okay, but it, it was like a big fuck you to audience. Like, hi, it's you so, thought you knew. It's so fuck deflating <clears throat> yes. to watch what we think is going to be our hero. And think about how much extra unease that... Okay, now he died. He's supposed to be the one. Who the fuck's next? Uh-huh. Who the fuck is next? He's this guy who's on to Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go capture the guy who killed our... Our heroine. Mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, almost unceremoniously. Axe to the chest. He's going what? to be murdered in a brutal fashion. Mm-hmm. It's not like he came out and just like pushed him down the stairs or there was a scuffle at the top of the stairs and something happened and Norman Bates happened to get the better of him. Well, I like the fact it's that... It's an out of the blue axe to the fucking chest. And I love it. It because- is both sudden and violent and deflating, and it's yeah, like you said, it's almost a fuck you to the audience. Yeah. To where you're so goddamn bummed, like mm-hmm. everybody who's gonna come looking for this again, this psycho, is gonna be fucking murdered by this guy, and we're gonna have to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I again, I like the fact that they didn't that the accident happened, but they didn't linger. They didn't. Make that this huge thing. It's a thing. Whack. It happened. Boom. It's done. And that made it even more disconcerting because, again, I the biggest problem I ever have with a horror movie is if the violence is too realistic. It will fuck with me for days. 
But when it's cartoony, it's not. But they did it so beautifully and tastefully. And again, I, I've seen I've seen the same effect in a bunch of movies we've watched. Every time I see something that's understated, now I'm thinking of that axe from Psycho. And just because of cultural context, and because obviously we've seen it, we know it's Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. At this point in the film, there's nothing to indicate that it is not his mother, that he seems to have been making excuses for, that no, she's ill, she's sickly, mm-hmm. she doesn't come out of the house, she can't move, I have to take care of her. I n- unfortunately, because I read the book, I never really had that side, that uh, side, inside thing. I, I knew it was, you know... But for, in the context of the film, anyway, oh yeah, by no point in this are we given any indication that this is, in fact, Norman Bates. And we're well, well, well into the movie before that those beans are spilt. Uh-huh. And, again, just the almost deflation when we see him just charging at Vera Miles with a knife in one of the last scenes. Yeah, that, that rictus smile grin... Open mouth scream. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, until Sam Loomis. And it, this, I, I know I, I talked about how it's not realistic. And it, it isn't at points. It lets you know that you're watching a movie, right. which is what I love about it. But that the climax of our film is him being detained. Mm-hmm. And, and screaming at the top of his lungs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Loomis doesn't kill him from behind. He doesn't come in with the shotgun and save the day. He saves the day. Yeah, but... But it's not a Michael Myers situation right. where Dr. Loomis... That's what I was thinking as soon as I heard that name. Ah, it was a direct connection, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, Sam just grabs him from behind and holds his arms behind him because Sam's a big fucking dude. Yep. And Norman Bates is kind of a scrawny little he weighs guy. about five pounds, yeah. 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 And he's just easily held down. And you can see, I thought it was the a freeze. rage yeah, when I, he is being held in almost like a full Nelson kind right. of. And I thought it was a cut where they had cut to where they freeze framed. No, it wasn't. He was just, he was stock still because the other guy was still moving, like for real moving. And I'm like, oh shit, that is cool. Uh-huh. It's at that, those little tiny. And he's just staring at Vera Miles. Mm-hmm. Staring at her. Mm-hmm. As the wig has fallen off. And, and that's, again, that, that's the reveal when we know it's Norman Bates. Oh, it's, now, it's still, knowing what's coming, that reveal is still badass. Yes. Now, I mean, we can look at it through a 2020 lens at the end and say, okay, well, we didn't need to go into the fact that he was dressing up as his mother and kind of, you know... Well, really tamping down. The- well, for 1960, the way they talk about the difference between transvestitism and this particular mental illness, and it didn't yes. really talk down about it. It just said this is for sex and this is not. And I'm like, well, for 1960, that's pretty fucking progressive. Yeah. Again, that's why I was prefacing it with through the 2022 lens. You can go ahead and have a problem with Psycho. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get why anybody would be upset. But man, just... Not, obviously, not knowing in 1960 that that was going to be the reveal that, oh, fuck, it was Norman Bates. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if you knew about Ed Gein and were smart in 1960, you could probably put it together. Yeah, but Ed Gein basically was Midwest news. Yeah. It didn't make it out to the coast. Right. That was when when information kind of stuck together. So this movie could be successful because we didn't have the internet. You could call your friend in Topeka, dude, and tell them, but nobody wanted to know. People wanted to be surprised, and they wouldn't let people in the theater after, like, once the movie started, you ain't coming in. Yep. And that was fucking free publicity. Uh Oh, my God. It was like William Castle shit. I wanted to stay away from little factoids because shitload volumes have been written about it. But I love that one of the little factoids about this film is... They made every single theater that agreed to have Psycho give a 10-minute warning. Psycho mm-hmm. will be starting in 10 minutes. Yep. You will not be allowed admittance. And I think it's very important because, again, we talked about that character structure. Mm-hmm. The, the screenwriting in this is almost fucking flawless. Mm-hmm. I bet you that's how they started the textbook. Seriously. It had to be from something like this. This ironclad. Uh-huh. It was just, Wow. It's, uh, man, it's a fucking classic for a reason. Yes, it is. And it, there's, there's no denying it. Even, even at 36 years old, I watched this movie and went, 
God damn. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do this. Nope. I couldn't even get close to doing this. I don't think there are many people who exist right now that could do this. Yeah. And like you said, everything down to the lighting plays such a powerful impact. Mm -hmm. And every part of this film is so almost so goddamn flawless mm -hmm. that I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but fuck, it's a classic for a reason. And if you haven't actually sat down to watch Psycho, please, goddamn, go, to, go do it. You know, and the only other caveat I have is that if you haven't seen Psycho, it both is and isn't what you think it is. Uh-huh. And you will be blown away by a lot of stuff that you had no idea was there. Again, I revisited this many years later. It was almost a brand new, fresh movie to me. And, and I was pulled in 12 different directions, and I loved every second of it. My own issues aside from the 2022 lens, I'm still a little ambivalent. You asked me, did I like this movie or did I not like this movie? I was affected by this movie. I don't know if I like it. It's not something I'm going to put on next week to watch again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not going to be like Priest, so I'm going to put on tomorrow because I'm bored. You know, so it doesn't have that same feel to it so i can't say i like it like it yeah it's not a robocop three right i'm I, not gonna watch psycho while i'm folding laundry i feel and i will give it this a hundred percent praise i feel different from having watched it so i have context to think about all these cultural things that have happened all through the years these little bits and pieces that i've you know grabbed throughout the years and and pulled it back and this is why it's a cultural touchstone yeah and i I didn't write down specific examples, but there are so many just different shots or different scenes or, or whatever that you see it and you go, oh, oh, that's where that, mm -hmm. oh, they're still doing that today. Yes, yes. Oh, that was a really good idea. And yeah, I've seen it aped in God knows how many films. Mm -hmm. Like Any of the stuff with the stairs, my mind went right to uh, House of the Devil. Right, exactly. Oh, wow. And just little shit like that. I guess I did have a specific example. Little Indeed. stuff like that. That man, if you watch enough movies and you kind of pay attention, you look at it and you just go, "Fucking, this is where movies came from." And it's the same thing with the haunting. It's the same thing. I'm trying to just list contemporaries now, but like Rosemary's Baby from '69. Again, another god awful filmmaker. Oh, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, real piece of shit. But fuck, could he make a movie? But yeah, you look at a lot of these old films, which is why I really, I've gotten so much back into, all right, I might not need to see this new movie in lieu of watching something better. You know, I would give you that. It's the same reason that like, oh, I got kind of back into like listening to metal or whatever. And like, I've gone back to listening to a lot of Judas Priest. I've been on a Dio fucking kick. Yep. Yep. And Dio. Yeah, where you kind of just trace back the roots and go, man, this is kind of where a lot of the shit that I like came from, mm -hmm. and it's almost better in a way. And I can sit there and go, this is where punk diverged. This is where this metal, that can, you know. Yep. And it brings me back to, you know, good times, because I like those music, that music because it hit me in a good time. Mm -hmm. And I'll always revisit it. I guess I, I will say that if I'm, if I'm stuck between... Picking a movie I've never seen before that might be good or might be bad or watching Psycho, I'd watch Psycho. So that's that's high praise for me. Yeah. It's it's that good. Mm -hmm. it, it is a very good film. Again, I think you hit it right on the head. I'm not going to watch Psycho for fun, mm -mm. generally speaking. But if I am in the mood to very much appreciate a film, it's almost like watching uh, uh, All the Moons. Mm, okay. It's not necessarily a fun movie. <laughs> not by any stretch. But you feel different afterwards. Oh, fuck yeah. And the other thing, too, is uh, this would be a movie, I, if I was having, like, writer's block, I was having difficulty, like, I'm working on a game right now, and I'm getting ideas from how, you know, how people speak and that kind of thing. And when I watched this movie, I got, like, 200 ideas because it's just so well-paced and so well-set up that I, I wrote probably for an... 45 minutes after this movie was out, just on separate things. Mm -hmm. And I think I would continue to do that for any kind of like written inspiration because the dialogue was so spot the fuck on. Yep. It very much gives you, here are the threads, now watch us weave them together. Mm -hmm. And the way they interacted with each other, even with the different acting styles, even with the different ages, even with the different 
everything, it was still cohesive. Again, blew my mind. Yep. God damn, it's good. All right, uh, James, what have we got to plug? Um, this beautiful podcast. Uh, go check us out. We got Facebook groups, Instagrams, pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're still singular. on the grum. We're still on that grum, baby. Mm-hmm. Baby. Baby. Uh, Horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. Sup? Send us emails. Mm-hmm. Or if you get on the Facebook group, I tend to chime in. Yeah, we'll talk to you probably. Unless you're a real piece of shit. Yeah, in that case. Yeah, if you're just going to be a dick, at least be funny. That's all we ask. That's all we fucking ask. Well, James, we made it to 100, 100 releases. They're I not all the same thing, it. but it's, it's 100 releases. It, it's a, I think we... It's we a took, thing, buddy. Yep, we... We exceeded what I thought this show could possibly be, and I think we hit the nail on the head with doing a classic, and I think we did it in our own way, which I am very proud of us for doing, so good job, us! Fucking A. I will tell you this, when I started this, I thought I'd do three or four. You'd get your, fi- you'd get your final co-host, because I know you were doing rotating co-hosts, etc. I never fucking thought I would be doing this for a full year. This is the first thing I probably followed through on, in fucking 20 years. So, yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of proud of this. You're you're my anchor, baby. Yeah, yeah. You're my muse, baby. Oh. Tee-hee. All right, James and I are going to go fuck. Yeah. All right, later, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> I don't know why I tried to get fancy at the end. I said that. Good night. Shit. Shit.